0: The primary elections have come and gone in South Carolina, and some are going to runoffs. Others are going to recounts. Justin Hall, Dave Wilson, here on the fastest-growing conservative podcast in the state of South Carolina, the Palmetto Family Matters Podcast. There's a lot to get into, Dave, from election night. He talked about this all night on Tuesday, so we're going to have you go through the ringer again. <clears throat> Got it. For those of you who don't know, I do the political commentary on the
1: CBS affiliate in Columbia. And so we were doing this all night last night. Right. So if I get a little scratchier, if I have to pull out my nondescript uh, cup yes. here, you will understand why. I'm also bumping my mic. Uh, it's been one of those long nights. Right. We've got finished about 1130. Uh, but we want you to know, because so often people are, I mean, we've been getting phone calls. We've mm-hmm. been pe- people texting you know What went on? What happened? Why did it happen? There are some key races that were won. Yep. There are some key races that were lost. Um, and really, how does all of this stuff break itself down?
0: There were some interesting <clears throat> results in statewide elections. Every single House seat is up for grabs this year. And some of them, the uh, the results might shock you because most of you are going to stay specific to your area. And that makes perfect sense because you're dealing with your state legislator. You're more interested in what your House seat is doing. But there were <clears throat> some House seats upstate. Low country, out over in the PD. And, of course, we had U.S. House races that we need to talk about and Senate races that we need to talk about for the U.S. Senate seat, the one. We'll talk about that as well. But first Dave, voter turnout. Now, again, this is the case many times with primaries specifically in South Carolina, in a non-presidential year. Right. This was a midterm primary in June. Now, in Columbia, it did not get as, as hot as it was expected to be. because <laughs> we, we, have, got, we had rain come through. We had a, like a frog strangler at about 10 a.m., <laughs> and, and so that had a lot to do with the turnout as well. But here, here are the numbers. <clears throat> there are about 3.3 3 million registered voters in South Carolina. Of that number, 556,000 and some change casted ballots this primary election. So let's
1: write some a real simple fraction down yep. for you here. That means 5 out of 6 registered voters in South Carolina did not vote. Now, we put out an email blast yesterday morning. We, we sent to anybody who had not opened it. We resend it yesterday afternoon. Yep. The click rate on that, just so that you understand, you'll get a link. You'll see a link in there that says, you know, tell me what my ballot looks like or who's on my ballot. Yep. We got a lot of people clicking on that to say, hey, listen, who, what's on my ballot? And it was very interesting because uh, I was on the air last night with Jim Felder a great uh, African-American historian. He was actually one of the casket bearers for JFK. Uh, So, you know, it's like spending time with history. Right. But he said there were so many places and people calling him going, do we have an election? Who's on the ballot? What am I voting for? It was such an uninformed electorate, with the exception of two races specifically, the two U.S. house races along the coast of South Carolina, the seventh district race, which was Tom Rice. Um, We'll talk about that race in a moment. Mm -hmm. And the low country race down in the first, which is Nancy Mace's current seat and the race that she had against Katie Arrington. We'll talk about those numbers as we break those down in just a moment. But beyond that, the interest level was just not there at 16.78%. But that means five out of six South Carolinians registered to vote did not show up at the polls. Decisions are made by those who show up. And if you don't show up, if you don't make the elections and you don't like the people who are running, you
0: got to start asking yourself the question, why did I not show up at the polls? Right. Uh, and so the numbers being as low as they were, you look. we go deeper into the number. Let's go a deep dive really quickly. You look at the voter turnout for the Republican primary for governor. That featured Henry McMaster, obviously, and Harrison, Trucker Bob, Musselwhite. Total votes cast in that election, 362,000. Compare that to the Democratic primary, which had five candidates, most notably Joe Cunningham and Mia McLeod, who we'll hear from in just a second, both of them, 179,000. People That's about two to one. So, Dave, my question becomes, we had an electorate that was, by and large, either uninformed or disinterested. One of the two. On top of that, two out of every two Republicans who casted a ballot, only one Democrat casted a ballot, according to the numbers, in the state of South Carolina. What does that tell us? Is that a bellwether for November, or is it just a product of a June primary? I think you have a little bit of both. There's
1: just not the energy In the Democratic side, now, a statistical breakdown of numbers for you for South Carolina, it is roughly a 55-45 split of Republicans versus Democrats in the general electorate population of South Carolina. So those 3.3 million people, it's about a 55-45 split. But mathematically, what you see with this number is Republicans were more energized to turn out than the Democrats were. So... There were questions as to why was that the case. It was also very interesting when you began to break down the numbers for both of these races, where certain candidates won and where certain candidates lost. But I think this is a good bellwether sign that, the Republicans recognize and understand how important turnout is. As a matter of fact, I was also having a conversation this morning where uh, members of the folks who live in the 7th Congressional District, that's the PD area of the state, uh, which is the Tom Rice seat, there were multiple Democrats who switched over and voted in the Republican primary to vote against Tom Rice. Yeah. So there's a little bit of crossover. Uh, But there is a lot more energized voter base for the Republicans than the Democrats. And I think that will begin to translate itself out when we start taking a look at the November election.
0: And we can go ahead and start looking at the November election just briefly in terms of the governor's race. I will tell you this, in in case you're unaware, uh, Mark Hammond, Alan Wilson, Hugh Weathers, all winners in their state constitutional officer races. Not a shock there. The other big race statewide was the superintendent of education race. That featured, oh my gosh, like 10,000 candidates <laughs> on the Republican side. You're talking six candidates that were on the ballot last night. Kathy Manis has 30.66% of the vote after Election Day. Ellen Weaver in second place at 23%. So they're going to go to a runoff in two weeks. The interesting thing will be, as all runoffs are, you have roughly 154,000 votes now up for grabs. Right. Based on the votes for the other four <clears throat> candidates, where do those shake out? Where do those go in that runoff?
1: So the way the runoff works in South Carolina, we do not do this based upon a plurality. It is based upon a majority. So the difference between that is not who got the most votes at the first election. It is whoever the two top vote getters are in the primary go to the runoff if they don't get 50% of the vote plus one. So in that particular case, you've got both Kathy Manus and Ellen Weaver, who were the top two vote getters, but Manus got 30.6 and Weaver got 23.3. So in that particular case, where do the other voters decide to go? Do they go into the Manus camp? Do they go into the Weaver camp? Uh, Will the candidates endorse one candidate over the another, those who, the four that lost on that particular race, you've got Travis Bedson, Brian Chapman, Kizzy Gibson, and Linda Leventus-Wells. They're going to have to decide what they're going to do as a level of endorsement. Mm -hmm. The other side of this, though, is this, and this is, again, I'm going to speak specifically to you five of six who did not vote. If you did not vote you still have an ability to vote in the runoff election that will be on June the 28th. Yep. That's a Tuesday. By doing that, you have a choice as to which of these two candidates you want to see as the superintendent of education nominee for the Republican side or uh, Lisa Ellis, who was the SE for Ed person on the Democratic side, appears to have won yeah. uh, outright. It was, I mean, it's a hairline, is 50 votes. She's got 50% plus 50 votes, uh, so it's really tight. They're doing some final counts on that right now. But if you didn't vote in the Democratic primary, then you can vote in the Republican runoff. Yep. If you voted in the Republican primary, you can only vote in the Republican runoff. If you voted in the Democratic primary, you can only vote in the Dem- Democratic runoff. runoff. Fair is fair. But if you If you're one of the five out of six registered voters in South Carolina, it is time for you to figure out which of the candidates you want to be the voice for schools in South Carolina. This is going to be very important as we get into the next legislative session because Mm -hmm. one of the major items that's going to be discussed is a parental bill of rights and whether or not we're going to have CRT in our classrooms, as well as will you have educational choices for your children or grandchildren? So these are things to keep in mind as you begin to look at who these candidates are and where they stand on the issues. Because four years ago, Justin, voters in South Carolina had the ability to say, do you want the superintendent of education to be appointed by the governor like the the secretary of education at the federal level is appointed by the president? Voters soundly rejected that four years ago in a 60 to 40 split of the vote in the election of 2020, sorry, 2018. That makes a huge difference because that means these races right here to a majority of South Carolinians are an important place for your voice to be heard. But for your voice to be heard, you can't be part of the five out
0: of six registered voters
1: in South Carolina that did not vote.
0: I'm going to assume that many of you who watch us and listen to us did vote. So I will go one step further. You know somebody who didn't. Guaranteed. Guaranteed you know somebody who didn't vote. So make sure to get out and talk to folks and ask them. Just Don't ask them who they voted for. You can ask. just ask them, did you vote? Did you vote on the 14th? If they didn't, they can still vote in these runoffs, and that's a very important runoff when you're talking about the superintendent of education nominee in either party that will face off in November. Really quickly, a look at the governor's race on the Democratic side because we obviously had some fun on Monday with these folks. I'm (laughs) looking at the breakdown map here, Dave. Here's what's really interesting about this. You can actually go to scvotes.org, and you can look at the details of the contest. I feel like I'm like Bill Hemmer on Fox (laughs) News right now. Um, I will say we did actually have the— We had the touch screen. See, I'm nervous. I
1: I so wanted to do that one. That's really cool.
0: Um, Mia McLeod, the senator from Richland County. Only got 37% of Richland County
1: She didn't win Richland County She didn't win Fairfield or Lexington Or Lexington or She Calhoun didn't win Calhoun
0: or Orangeburg She didn't win anything in the Midlands She did take one county in the CSRA And that was Aiken County by a 47-32 She held Greenwood, McCormick, Abbeville, Chester, York, Lancaster, Chesterfield, Marlboro and, well, and the upper part of the PD Darlington, right. Florence, etc. And she also got Allendale County, the bellwether that is Allendale Joe did really well, obviously, in Charleston, down around the low country. He did not fare as well in the upstate. It was a lot closer in Greenville-Spartanburg, that area. And that is an area that we saw for Governor McMaster last night where he gave up a little bit more ground. He did. It was a 75-25 up there as comparison to like 91-9 down in the low country.
1: So if you take a look at the at the breakdown of the map for Governor McMaster's when Governor McMaster won 83% of the Republican primary vote. and yep. uh, That is solid solid win for Governor McMaster. And if you look at the county map, you know, it's it's all colored for Henry McMaster. But in a county like Greenville, he won 74% of the vote. Yep. In a county like Spartanburg, he won 76% of the vote. In Cherokee County, he won 87%. But you get into some of the other counties in the northwestern part of the state, uh, in what would be considered the third congressional district, and the numbers are not as strong for him there as they are in other areas like here in the Midlands. So it begins to ask the question, where is there a weak spot for the governor uh, when you take a look at the way the numbers break themselves down trucker bob you know trucker bob got 16% of the vote that's pretty good i had him at about 12 i had him at 12 as well and i think when you look at that that makes a statement about folks who say i don't want to vote for an incumbent
0: yes i want new blood i want fresh blood it's the it's the it's the donald it's the donald trump right side of things
1: and and when you look at this it really does boil down justin to a deeper dive and that's where when we start taking a look at state house seats like we're going to be doing in a few minutes Mm -hmm. you will see how that really plays itself out because there were let me double check my number i think it was 31 contested incumbent races last night so that means a person who is currently in office had a primary contest
0: opponent and, and, and what that shows to me, and I, and I just mentioned this a few seconds ago, I say the Donald Trump effect in that people are more willing. I, I would not categorize myself as one of those. More likely for me, just as my personality, to lean to the incumbent unless there's a serious issue. Right. But, but there is a growing feeling, especially on the Republican side of the aisle, that fresh blood is more important. There's a deeper drive for term limits, and that's a different conversation. But we do see more and more folks who are unhappy with the current state of the legislature, or with the executive branch even. I just think what's interesting is when you take these numbers on scvotes.org and you look at look at where the candidates were not as strong, that's where you're going to see them campaign a lot right. as we head into the fall. You're going to see a lot of Governor, governor master in Greenville, Spartanburg, Cherokee, Union... And and places like that, not so much in Calhoun County, not so much in Richland County, other than when he's at the state house, right? right? You're still going to go to those places, but a lot of your time is going to be spent trying to woo those voters to make sure you have that solid base to break down a wall there, maybe in the upstate. But of course, on the Democratic side, you did have um, a contested race. Two solidly strong candidates that we were told uh, were running for the Democrat nomination. Me, McLeod... Uh, came out last night. I'm trying to look for the time, David. It, it was it was right around 9 45, 10, 10 45, o'clock. Yeah, uh, 10 o'clock to, um, not really concede. Yeah, I was about to say not really so
1: concede. We talked about it last night as we were in the studio last night and and listening to everything. I was waiting for the concession phrase, that idea, and it never came. Part of it was it had not been called by the Associated Press yet. The Associated Press, just so that you know, the the folks at the Associated Press are kind of the bellwether of, okay, they have their own monitoring. They do their own counts. They don't rely just upon what comes in off of SC votes because for some reason the AP numbers are much more accurate and much more up to date. But their numbers... Uh, when when you get called by the Associated Press, that means you're locked. Y- you're pretty much locked in there. It's very difficult mm-hmm. to to have co- overcome the calculus that they use to be yep. able to determine whether or not you want or not. I mean, they called Henry McMaster last night at seven o five. Just saying, Peggy's <laughs> <Aggie's> husband, <laughs> as as he did refer to himself. But you begin to to look at how the numbers look, how they break down when. You had Mia McLeod there, the senator, out of Richland County. um, When she is out there giving her speech just prior to Joe Cunningham going out and giving his, uh, it was, I'm not sure if I'm going to be
0: losing or not, uh, but she kind of guessed that it was coming her way. Here's We'll we'll actually play it right here on your screen. Here is Senator Mia McLeod last night after a couple of hours of the polls being closed She kind of read the writing on the wall, and here's what she had to say about what her candidacy meant and then what you could expect from her after the election.
2: Our journey has been one that has excited and energized people across South Carolina like nothing ever has in modern history. We made history. We've made history. And South Carolina we'll be better because of it but there's still so much work to do and so we are going to remain committed to that work in fact i will be back in session on tomorrow because my work never stops my work for the people of south carolina and the people of senate district 22 never stops
0: um yes it is true she's first african-american woman to run for governor 100%. one hundred percent. That's true. I will say it wouldn't have been history if she became governor because we've already had a female governor. Um a female minority a governor. A female minority governor at that. Right. Um but she, but was, she was a, a Republican, Republican, so it doesn't count. Right. Um the the you excited the state, ma'am, you lost by twenty five percent. It was very interesting, Justin, last
1: night in this in the discussion. We actually talked about this on air last night with with Jim Felder and The Twitter spat that she and Representative Todd Rutherford got into... I think that killed it. ...was a huge turnoff for a lot of African-American older voters. They're like, eh, I just don't know. Because we're not going to get into the depth of it. Let's just say, to to deem
0: it a catfight... It was a vast understatement. It, it's not. We're we're not talking about. You had situations, you know, with the former president where he would say, you know, cry in Chuck Schumer or, you know, you know, um, Hillary Clinton lock her up, whatever. You had that. This got very personal. Very. I, I, like off, like off the jump, it was personal, and it's understandable. It. I'll just let you in. It got this office a buzz, and we were getting phone calls from other people and talking to other people. Like, can you believe this is happening right now? We're a week away from the primary and this is happening. Uh, it was it was direct personal. Yeah, it was. You can go back and look at the Twitter attacks. page. Mia for SC. And
1: and she undercut her credibility
0: mm-hmm.
1: among a core group of the- Democratic voters who either won were with her and didn't show up, or weren't sure and decided they were going to cast their vote in the other direction because, I mean, let's just be honest. Why in the world do you want to have one more politician who's going to sit there
0: and start talking smack on Twitter? Yeah, That's just, it's that well, is getting a little bit... And I think they were okay with it right. if it was directed toward the governor as it had been dealing with COVID. But uh, when you start getting gets, personal...
1: When you start getting personal and it becomes... The, the internal fighting that took place there... Among a Democratic gubernatorial candidate and a surrogate or an an endorser of the other candidate, candidate. it wasn't even politics. It was just a nasty brawl for two folks who are both in Richland County. Right.
0: Let's go to uh, Joe Cunningham's comments. Obviously, he is now the Democratic nominee for the governor of South Carolina. Let's listen really quickly to what he said about his candidacy, but specifically about the current governor.
2: Henry McMaster, Henry McMaster is the oldest governor in South Carolina history. And he's running to be the longest serving governor in South Carolina history. But the question is, the question is this. Does, does he deserve it? And, and and look, what can we expect? What can we expect from another four years under his leadership? And look, while I appreciate his service and his long, long, long political career, we've got to be honest. We've got to be honest about his track record. Our schools remain at the bottom of every list. Our roads are ranked literally dead last in our country. We've been ranked the worst state for women and one of the worst states to start a family.
1: I think you listen to Joe Cunningham and it is I actually it, it I, as I was listening to him last night I'm realizing he's going left of Joe Biden on his attacks and his rhetoric. He talks about the fact that he passed two bills in his 2 years in the U.S. Congress. And Trump signed one of them. And, and Trump signed them. Here's <laughs> the that thing. that up, Democrats. Here's the thing about it. One of them was a bill to undercut energy independence in South Carolina and America. So when you want to start talking about 4 and a half to $5 dollar gas, you can thank Joe Cunningham for stopping
0: the drilling of oil to keep us energy independent. Uh, He said that last night in his speech. He said that one of the bills I passed helped stop drilling off the coast of Charleston. Here's the thing. We have now set up, as we get ready to move to the House races, Governor Henry McMaster, Joe Cunningham, six years as governor, two years as congressman, the two-year, one-term congressman, now an attorney is going to challenge and say, "Hey, he's the old school, I'm the new school. Let's legalize pot. Let's do all this other stuff. Whoop de heapy doo." Yeah. <clears throat> Again, this is not Vincent Shaheen Nikki Haley part 1 or part 2. No. And this is really not uh Governor McMaster in his last run. Uh, uh, this is different. This is you're going to see a lot of money that's going to be dropped into this race. It will be. Come come August or September, <clears throat> and I think I just prognostication right out front I think the current governor probably wins at 5842 as it stands right now I think that because uh, Joe's uh, a little bit further left than the moderate Democrat in South Carolina is willing to go
1: right the moderate Democrat let's go back a couple of uh, a couple of election cycles back the first race between Nikki Haley and Vincent Shaheen it was a 51 49 split it was close or 50 and a half 49 and a half. It was a close race. Round two wasn't much different because Vincent Shaheen was a more conservative slash moderate Democrat. Democrat meant something different then. Right. Joe Cunningham has made it abundantly clear that he is going to be Mm pro-LGBTQ plus IA whatever. He is going to be all about pro-abortion hold up his pen, yeah. he's going to veto whatever he can Woo-hoo. when it comes to life issues. Yeah. He's going to turn around and he's going to, to to make the environment take precedence over the people and the jobs of South Carolinians. And I think you begin to look at those items compared to the fact that we have one of the lowest unemployment rates in America here in South Carolina right now. We have a booming economy Despite the fact we've got inflation going on, we've got businesses that are coming into the area. So, you know, he wants to compare there's the old way versus the new way. Well, the old way is bringing in jobs. The old way is doing things to lower employment and,
0: and actually... Standing up for the values that you hold dear. I would argue this is not Republican Democrat. This isn't even conservative liberal. I think this is conservative progressive. Right. And I think that's how the race is going to be decided because I think he's saying it that much is is clear. He's the more progressive candidate. Progress. Move forward. Keep doing this. 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 And this. Meanwhile, you got the governor who's saying, "Well, what we're doing is really working, and it worked through a pandemic." So that is the setup. Because we will we, continue because we remained open. But that's yes. true. We and and we wouldn't have <clears throat> had a certain Joe Cunningham been governor. So. We move from the governor's race in the state constitutional offices again no real shockers there uh, the. US Senate seat Tim Scott unopposed uh, the. US Senate seat on the Democratic side literally was almost a three-way tie and when I say almost <laughs> a three-way tie I literally mean that the three candidates I'm looking at it on scvotes.org are separated by roughly one point or sorry 2.5 percent
1: you from have first a uh, third. The first place, Catherine Fleming Bruce, with 34.66%. Second place, Crystal Matthews, a representative from the Low Country, with 33.22%. And Angela Jeter, 32.12%. Uh, You're talking, you know, a
0: minor spread of points uh, 4, from number one votes. and number two is just 1.4%. Yeah, one, About 4,000 votes separating right. first and third. So we'll see how that race shakes out again. I don't believe any of them have an opportunity to beat Tim Scott in, the, in November. No. I just don't see that happening. So we move on to the races that people uh, were truly had their eyes on really quickly. In District 4, William Timmons takes care of business at 52% of the vote. Uh, in re, uh, District 6, Jim Clyburn's district, he took care of it on that side. Duke Buckner is the Republican nominee on the other side of the aisle there and then we get to district one this district- would this
1: would be the nancy mace katie errington race uh there was one other person who was in the race she dropped out she still, still got, got votes. 870 votes yep um her mom and her grandkids and and you know Next door neighbors probably still showed up. But uh, Katie Arrington, the Trump backed candidate against Nancy Mace, the Nikki Haley backed candidate in the first congressional district, Nancy Mace ends up winning it with 52.86% to Katie Arrington's 45.88. So you're looking very clearly at somewhere close to a six to seven point spread difference, 7% difference of nearly 69,000 votes. This was probably one of the more energized races uh, in South Carolina. Yeah. It was going to draw a lot of attention. It, too, was a bit of a catfight. Um, Katie Arrington came out in her uh, concession speech basically saying, Nancy Mace, stop being a liar. Uh, tell the truth. Uh, and those types of things, you could just, there's just this constant sense. that I will just Frankly, they don't like each other. Right. <laughs> so the, the national media, Fox News, reached out to us and said, you know, we, we'd like a better understanding because you're on the ground in South Carolina. You know, is this, this an indication or a bellwether for Donald Trump? Because while Donald Trump's you know, pick in Katie Arrington lost, his pick in the 7th Congressional District, Russell Fry, ends up walking away last night with 51% of the vote. To Tom Rice, the sitting congressman who voted to impeach Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. not even getting 25% of the vote. This is a place where you had some Democrats also chose to cross over because they could, they they had to vote in their minds against Russell Fry in this particular race.
0: Well, and here's what's interesting about this. We talk about the Trump factor. You look at uh, District 1, and you actually said this last night. I was watching a little bit of it, so you had one viewer. Um, this, This idea, and you mentioned it, the Nikki Haley Donald Trump positioning. Right. I think more than anything, this is this is the former governor of the state figuring out what does her name pull here. Uh, does her name pull here in South Carolina still? We're now oh my goodness, Dave. We're about six years removed from her governorship, which is right. really hard to believe. Um, she's already served a stint at the UN since then. And then you look at the seventh, Russell Frye, sitting representative here in the state house, challenging Tom Rice, who was not liked in his district no. anymore not after his choice to impeach the president or vote to impeach the president. And whether he was right or wrong on that's for him for him to determine and for you to determine as a voter, right? Um I was stunned that that didn't go to a runoff. Really. I, it was with, very- with with seven different candidates or five right. or however many there were seven. seven the candidates.
1: There were seven candidates in that particular race. I actually, we we were at the state house earlier today. The legislature's back, working on finalizing the budget for this year. We'll talk briefly about that uh, today. But we ran into Russell Fry's campaign team uh, because Russell actually had to come back and finish his job as a state representative, yep. and they were he like, actually came to work today. He did come to work today. The winner came he, to work. He won. Okay, so. So, Russell Frye ends up winning 51% of the vote. Mm -hmm. Now, if you begin to break that down, one of the major areas that he was focusing on was in Horry County. Uh, He ended up with 52.38% of the vote there. Uh, You take a look at some of the other counties. He represents Florence County as well. It was 50%, 50%. And it became abundantly clear that this was going to be a place where Tom Rice could only hope that Russell Fry was going to get less than 50%. That was the only way he had any level of hope. But in a situation like this, so it's a quick breakdown of the way elections typically work. If you have a runoff, it is not unusual for the person in second place to end up being the winner in the final race. The reason for that is in, in a typical race, whoever gets first place, that's about the cap that they're going to get to. Mm-hmm. They may pull in a few other votes here and there, but typically the, those who are losing uh, will throw their hat behind the person who's in second place because that person didn't win either. Uh, I've seen that multiple times. This was one of those times, though, where the incumbent... Tom Rice could not even get to 25% of the vote. That means three out of four voters in the 7th Congressional District, that far side of the PD into the Grand Strand, simply said, not in my district to Tom Rice. And that was just a place where, you know, Santa Claus came early for Russell Fry uh, and for Donald Trump. Happy Happy birthday, Mr. President. There you go.
0: and so so the proxy yeah.
1: war the proxy
0: war is gonna be split between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley when it comes to South Carolina. And and again, I don't know if this is really an indictment. I don't think District one is an indictment on on Trump's endorsement because I would I want to be careful here. I don't want to I don't want to disrespect Miss Arrington. Thank you for putting your hat into the ring. But Russell Fry seemed to be a better matchup candidate to his incumbent. True. And 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 to me that played into a lot. He has a he has a more distinct record in terms of being in the state house. Uh, week-to-week, day-to-day in the session. So I'm, again, shocked that Russell won it outright with 51% of the vote. I I thought it was going to go to a runoff, and I would, you know, if you're in the Russell Fry camp, you wanted to be in second place there, and we know that Tom Rice would have fundraised the absolute heck out of a a runoff. There's no question uh, to pump money into it, but that's the way it shakes out. Really quickly, Ralph Norman unopposed in the fifth, Jeff Duncan unopposed in the third, and my congressman, Joe Wilson, unopposed on the Republican side in the second. His opponent was unopposed in the Democrat side, so they will go toe-to-toe in November with their Democratic opponents. Now we get into the House races. There were 30, South, Carolina, South, the Carolina, South Carolina, House, Carolina House. South Carolina House. 31 contested races in the South Carolina House, and— So let's also pair that with the fact that you had six
1: seats that were going to be vacated because people were retiring. Yep not running
0: for re-election. Yep, And that includes, just to, just to name a few, just to name one, the former Speaker of the House, not running for right. re-election, retiring.
1: Jay Lucas. Jay Lucas. You, had, you had Gary Smith out of Simpsonville, Leola Simpson from Greenville County. There were several folks. Plus, we had a very interesting time in this particular election this year because redistricting took place. Mm-hmm. And there were actually three seats where you had two people... That were combined two sitting members that were combined into a single district, and one member whose district was actually dissolved into the surrounding districts, and that district actually moved over to the PD. So Sandy McGarry in Kershaw County, uh, her her district was consumed, and that actually moves over to the PD area. Mm-hmm. But you had a race that was going on between uh, Wendy Brawley and Jermaine Jackson in the Hopkins area. They had a third person. Uh, it's going to end up. Uh, Jermaine Johnson ended up taking that particular race because he, with more than 50% of the vote, ended up beating Wendy Brawley. You had another one that you had with, uh, in looking back through here real quick, you had Roger Kirby and Caesar McKnight. They both are in the Kingstree, Florence area. Um, both got 48 point something percent. Neither one of them got a majority. So you've got two existing House members who are now in a runoff head-to-head with each other. Correct. So that's a little bit different, and that happens only because we had the redistricting that took place. But you had some other races where incumbents lost. You had Brian White in the Anderson area, lost to April Cromer, 59-40. to Uh, West Cox against Thomas Beach. Uh, They also had Mark Durham in that race. Thomas Beach gets just over 50%. Uh a, a really kind of a shocker out of Spartanburg County. Rob Harris defeated Rita Allison 54 to 46. Chairwoman of the educate of the House Education Committee. Right. And so that was that was a, a big shocker for a lot of folks on that one. Uh Rick Martin has some issues in Newberry County, uh, some personal issues. We're not going to get into that, but he remained on the ballot. But he had two folks, Joe White and Tammy Johns, who both ran against him. Uh Rick Martin came in third place, so there will be a runoff between Joe White and Tammy Johns, the two challengers mm-hmm. to the incumbent who lost. Vic Dabney out of, of Kershaw County lost 59-41. to 41. Uh, And then finally, Lynn Bennett. You've heard Lynn Bennett on uh, Palmetto Family Matters podcast out of the Charleston area. She lost last night in a 54-46 split with Gary Brewer. So thus far... You've got at least six new members from flipped seats. You've got six members that are going to be coming in from redistricted or new areas or where folks have retired. You're looking at at least a minimum of 12 to 15 new members of the South Carolina House. For a place that's got only 124 members, that's at least a 10 to 11, 12% turnover rate. That's new people coming into your state government at the state house level, and that's going to mean some changes that are going to be taking place um, with with kind of the tone, especially when you pair that with the fact that you had uh, you have a new speaker of the house, Admiral Smith, out of Sumter County.
0: You have a new majority leader of the of the Republican side, David Hyatt, Hyatt, who took care of right? business last he, night. In his he race. won
1: decidedly. Yeah, he, 63% he was sixty three percent out of out of Pickens County. So. There are changes that are coming, and I think this year, Justin, I think would be a year to turn around and say, you know, this was a year where you saw incumbency challenged on a number of different fronts.
0: You did, and in fact, you're you're looking at a mandatory recount in House District 89, that seat held by Micah Kasky. They're going to a recount there. Uh, He was challenged by Melanie Schull, who you've heard on our podcast. Um, There are runoffs in District 30, 40, 48, 101, and 106. Right. Uh, Those are the runoffs that I was able to tabulate as we prepped for the show today. You're right. Incumbency was challenged. We saw it from the top down. I mean, I I know Governor McMaster's race was called at 7.05. But it is worth noting that one out of every four voters in the upstate voted for the challenger that's notable it's not crazy but it's notable um you you look at I would argue they're challenging the status quo on the democrat side when it comes to governor that's just my opinion um obviously in district one for the house seat the U.S. house seat district one Nancy was challenged by Katie there's no question about that a lot of a lot of time and energy spent just to get the primary nod in the seventh district Russell completely unseats Tom Rice and he's, he's, he's the new congressman in the 7th District, uh, unless something crazy happens right. in November. So, yes, incumbency was challenged, and I think this sets the table for what happens in two weeks. Again, five out of six registered voters in South Carolina did not vote yesterday.
1: Did not vote. And that's where, again, we have runoff races that are going to be taking place on Tuesday, January the 28th. June that, the 28th. Sorry, June. Thank you. I always forget the j The J-month's always catch me wrong. Yep. On June the 28th, for you to be able to get out there and let your voice be heard on a key area of education yes. in South Carolina and if covid taught us anything it taught us that education does take a priority focus just take a look at the race in Virginia but queen but you know that Glenn Youngkin won as a conservative republican in purple
0: blue Virginia I think that's going to be a a bellwether race when it comes to how does what kind of level of interest does that get from Senator Tim Scott? Where does Henry McMaster cast his pearls in right. that race? You've again all of this flows together into one. You're setting up for a dogfight throughout the summer, in the early and uh, the late summer, and the early fall, as we head toward Election Day in November. And we're not even there yet because we still have races that need to be decided, like the superintendent of education race that you can vote on in two weeks. Please don't vote on January 28th. You'll be very late. Vote on June 28th. <laughs> June 28th. Vote on right. June 28th. That's where you need to go. By the way, today, as we wrap up this edition of the podcast, do want to mention that we are back in session, Dave. As you mentioned, the Family Caucus had a press conference Earlier today, around ten a.m., talking about the wins that took place over this legislative session. You can always catch that on a re, on its replay on yep. Facebook. on On Facebook, just scroll down a little bit once you're done with this one, and you can watch that that presser there. The session started back today for the summer. We know that the Med Act was passed out of conference committee. We were there right. in the room when it passed out. I I won't and, go and into it is, how quickly.
1: It was fast. I've <laughs> never seen government work so fast. It was
0: great. It was. We were in and out in five minutes.
1: the The beauty of that was it is gives us a very conservative ability for medical professionals and counseling professionals to stand for their faith. They don't have to make a difference, a choice between yes. their their beliefs and a paycheck. Yes, and that is a very important thing that was pushed forward. Uh, you had Senator Grooms and Senator Kimbrell. Uh, who were pushing forward that you had Representative John McCravy and Representative Mark Willis, Mark Willis uh, all of whom have been award winners for the work that they've done. It's amazing here in South Carolina on behalf of the work here that we do at Palmetto Family. So, ESA
0: bill was also passed at a conference committee today. Just want to mention that.
1: And so those things are going to be taken up in a single day meeting of the South Carolina House. They will pass the budget. Uh, the House and the Senate, they'll pass the budget today. They'll pick up a couple more items. Those will go to the governor's desk. The governor's expected to have some vetoes that are going to be part of his uh, response to the budget for this year. That's not unusual. Uh, it is also not very unusual when the members come back in two weeks to turn around
0: and override most of the governor's vetoes. Which is how government works, and that's okay. By the way, that that goes to show you really quickly, I just want to mention this as a parting note for you. When you have a candidate for governor in the state of South Carolina who says that they will veto any pro-life legislation and they will raise teachers salaries and they will do something about the environment. That person is either willingly ignorant or does not know what executive power he holds in the state. Just just putting it out there because in the state of South Carolina, the governor has much less considerably much less power than the governor in say Texas or California or Virginia for that matter. Uh, our state is set up in a different way and j- just things to keep in mind as as you're really weighing out who who you are looking to put your support behind. And one final thing, as we get toward these runoffs, and as we get toward the election in November, now's the time to start researching the candidates. Now's the time to begin to understand what their positions are. Where do they stand on certain issues? Listen to the interviews they give. Listen to the things they say in their press conferences or when they're talking to the media, when they're talking to folks like us. Find out what their positions are. Don't wait until November the 1st to begin to gear up for the election on, I believe, November 8th. You you need to start now. So when you are moving forward, you can really help support whomever. And then when you get to November 8th, you're in and out. Well, here's the other part. You are probably one of those folks that somebody calls Mm -hmm.
1: a few days before the election and say, hey, listen, who should I be voting for? That's why you are so important and why you are part of the work that we do here at Palmetto Family. Because you are that reflector on the guardrail of your community because you know what's going on. And people do look to you for guidance in understanding what they should be doing, who they should be voting for, how they should be looking at certain issues. You're there at a God-given place for those reasons take advantage of those to, to be a strong voice for biblical values here in South Carolina. That's extremely important. Final item that I wanted to bring up today is part of what the, the House and Senate being back, the legislature being back in town, they are passing a $1.7 billion tax cut slash tax refund. There will be a, at least uh, an up to $800 uh, tax refund that will be coming in the November-December timeframe. So it will be based upon how much you've paid in taxes. The maximum amount that you will be receiving is $800 per household, and that is an extremely important thing of putting billions of dollars back into the pockets of South Carolinians, plus reducing the state tax rate as part of a scaled back or scale down uh, reduction of the tax rate that will save taxpayers this year close to 700 million dollars that is a big big difference
0: uh, kudos to Merle Smith Gary Simrel, the leaders in the House kudos to Senator Peeler Senator Alexander uh, Senator Kimbrell getting both sides of the budget on each side of the each side of the legislature ready to go. They go to conference committee, it passes out fairly quickly, and bada-bing, bada-boom, we're moving on to getting it voted on. Now, as you mentioned, the governor will have some vetoes, and they'll probably get overridden, and you'll get money back in your pocket, which doesn't hurt right now uh-uh. when you're everything's going up. Exactly. I mean, when, when the cost of eggs is as ridiculous as it is, you need more money in your pocket. So, again, from election night, we see incumbency being challenged in the state of South Carolina, but now all attention begins to turn to November. And as we move toward November, we're hoping that these seats get filled more and more with the, with the two candidates from each race that are running for the office that they want to hold. And Our goal is to get them in here and get them talking so you can get an unfiltered look at what they stand for. That is our wrap-up of Primary Election Day in South Carolina. Again, if you're one of the five out of six who didn't vote, you can still vote in the runoffs in two weeks on June 28th. And if you did vote, vote in the runoffs on June the 28th. For Dave Wilson and everyone at Palmetto Family, I am Justin Hall. We'll see you next time on the fastest-growing conservative podcast in the state, the Palmetto Family Matters podcast.